Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 16th of January, 2022, 9.30 service. Ruth Henton speaking on The Giant Killer in the series King David, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. It occurred to me that it would have been rather appropriate if this talk had been last weekend to coincide with the FA Cup third round where there was plenty of giant killing going on. We saw Cambridge United beat Newcastle, Kidderminster Harriers put out Reading, and with apologies to any Dons fans, Boreham Wood beat our local side, AFC Wimbledon. For football fans, the third round of the FA Cup brightens the January gloom and gives the opportunity to cheer on the underdogs aiming for an unexpected victory. As one commentator put it last weekend, we love to root for the underdogs unless they're playing our team. But that footballing weekend also demonstrated just how well known today's passage about David and Goliath is. The fact that these unexpected footballing triumphs are described as giant killings shows the familiarity assumed where this famous story is concerned. Knowing I was speaking on this topic today, I was especially alert to any references being made by the pundits and commentators. The coverage of Saturday afternoon's scores and results on BBC One began with the comment, will we see any giant killing today? And who will be this year's Davids? And that was the first of several comments. So, I had rather mixed feelings when I heard that I was speaking on such a familiar story. On the one hand, there's no doubt that it's a fantastic story. In fact, once when I was telling this story in an assembly, I was heckled by a reception pupil who called out, Miss Henson, you've got some great stories. I responded by pointing out that they were God's stories, not mine. To which the boy replied, well then, God's got some great stories. But on the other hand, when a story is so familiar, we can feel like we already know everything it has to teach us and find it more of a challenge to be open to God having something new for us to understand or apply. So my hope and prayer is that we will all find something new to contemplate or respond to as we consider the story of David, the giant killer. We're going to think about the story from three different angles. Preparation, perspective, and promise. Firstly, preparation. Last week, we heard from Stephen about David's anointing as king-to-be and his subsequent service of the current king, Saul, by playing music to comfort and calm him. We might imagine that life was pretty exciting and glamorous for someone in David's position, but 1 Samuel chapter 17 makes it clear that that's not the case. In the earlier verses of the chapter, before our reading, we hear that David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. With his three eldest brothers fighting in Saul's army, David is needed by his father to keep on looking after the sheep. 
If you remember, he was out with the sheep when Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons and had to be summoned home once the other brothers had been passed over. So everyday life hasn't changed that much for David, despite the anointing he has received. And Jesse has another job for David to do too, because he wants to hear how his oldest boys are getting on in the army. So he sends David with supplies of grain, bread and cheese, with the instruction to bring back words of reassurance from his brothers. When Samuel anointed David with oil in the previous chapter, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, I wonder what he thought life would be like moving forward. You might imagine that he wouldn't have expected to still be the shepherd boy out in all weathers with the sheep. Maybe he would have envisaged his brothers waiting on him and wanting to hear his news rather than the other way round. But we don't hear him complaining, do we? Perhaps it is God's spirit who helps him understand that this seemingly humdrum, ordinary period of time is a necessary means of preparation. That God is able to use these humdrum, ordinary, everyday moments to prepare him for the challenges and opportunities ahead. Is that something we need to be reminded of too? We shouldn't expect that serving God will be all about prestigious, upfront, eye-catching roles. The behind-the-scenes, little-noticed or getting-your-hands-dirty jobs are just as vital, if not more so. And who are the sheep of the flock that God wants us to care for? Who do we need to check in with or offer hospitality to? God can use this seemingly ordinary and humdrum service not only to pour out his love through us, but also to prepare us for further service in the future. But there's another way that God has been preparing David too. When David is explaining to Saul why he is so confident to face up to Goliath, he has some pretty exciting encounters to recount. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. God wasn't just preparing David in the ordinary humdrum moments. He was also preparing him through moments of challenge, danger and trial. God is able to use these difficult times to teach David, both in a practical sense, as he learns the skills he will need in the fight against Goliath, but even more vitally, the personal lesson that he can fully trust in God's protection and rescue. When we are in the midst of challenging situations or times of trial, it can feel as though we are far from God and we can end up wondering 
where God is in such circumstances and how he could allow us to go through something like that. David was able to reflect how he was equipped and strengthened by his experiences. With hindsight, it can be a bit easier to see how we have been shaped and changed by the things we've gone through and the lessons we've learnt. With God's help, may we increasingly trust in this hope, even as we face up to the challenges and difficulties which God can use for his good purposes. Having considered the theme of preparation, let's secondly focus on perspective. David's attitude towards so many aspects of what's going on in this chapter really boils down to perspective. We've already considered how he is willing to be faithful in the little things so that he is more ready to be faithful in the big things. But that's just one example of how his perspective enables and empowers him. Take the reaction of the Israelites to Goliath's challenge. In verse 11, it states that both Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified when they heard Goliath summoning one of their ranks to take him on in a fight. Then later, we learn that Saul has tried to persuade someone to step forward by offering various rewards, hoping that personal gain will be enough to encourage them. David does ask about what will happen if someone manages to defeat Goliath, and we cannot assume that his motives are 100% self-effacing, given the flaws which become increasingly evident as his life goes on. But even if the rewards on offer will not be refused, it is clear that a key motivation for David to face up to Goliath is the fact that the giant is defying and dishonouring God. He says to the men standing near him when he arrives at the battlefield, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Then, when he is explaining to Saul about his experiences as a shepherd with bears and lions, he pretty much repeats the same phrase. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And even when he is in the midst of facing up to Goliath, he points out the giant's defiance once more. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. When we are considering whether to take on something new or face up to a particular challenge, how much more likely are we to weigh up what it will cost us or what's in it for our advantage rather than acting according to whether God's name will be honoured and glorified by us doing it? For the Israelites, it boils down to the fact that they are focusing entirely on the problem. Goliath is pretty relentless in ramming it down their throats, making his challenge morning and evening for 40 days, and they just can't see a way around what seems to be an impassable obstacle. But David arrives on the scene 
with a fresh perspective. He hears about the problem, but his focus remains on God. He focuses on the fact that God is being defied and dishonoured. He focuses on the fact that God has equipped and rescued him in the past. He focuses on the fact that he has experienced God's faithfulness firsthand. For David, it makes perfect sense to focus on the one who he has faith and confidence in to provide a solution, rather than focusing on the problem which appears insurmountable to those around him. As the old chorus says, when the road is rough and steep, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He alone has power to keep. Fix your eyes upon him. Jesus is a gracious friend, one on whom you can depend. He is faithful to the end. Fix your eyes upon him. May God enable us to fix our focus on him rather than our problems so that he can help us put them into perspective. And for the Israelites, it's the size of the problem which is the heart of the issue. You can read various Bible commentators discussing exactly how tall Goliath was and whether he was literally a giant or just a very tall man. But I think the specifics are rather irrelevant. The point is that the Israelites felt he was too big to be faced up to, too massive to be defeated. What are the giants in our lives? The problems which appear just too huge to be resolved. Is it a problem at work or not having any work? Is it a broken relationship or loneliness? Is it illness, our own or someone else's? Is it an addiction or sinful behaviour which we just can't escape from? Just like Goliath, these problems don't let things rest. They present their challenge throughout the day, every day, and they seem insurmountable and inescapable. We try to think of worldly strategies to protect ourselves, just like Saul offering David his heavy, outsized armour and weapons to use. But like David, we need to trust in God's equipping and empowering rather than worldly methods, acknowledging that we can't do it in our own strength. When Goliath sees David, he is incredulous that one so small and young has come to challenge him and despises him. He is comparing David's stature with his own, just as the Israelites have been comparing themselves with Goliath for 40 days. But David isn't interested in comparing himself with Goliath because he is busy comparing Goliath with God. There's nothing like having the almighty, omnipotent God on your side to put any height of giant into perspective. David's opening words to Goliath are, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
There's a reason why so many hymn writers remind us how big and mighty God is. Think of the majestic old hymn, How Great Thou Art, or catchy choruses like Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty, and Our God is a great big God, and nothing's too big, big, big for his power. It's so easy for us to become discouraged or overwhelmed by the size of the problems we face. So we need to be reminded of how much bigger, stronger and mightier God is than any problem we can come up against. If we can cling on to that with the help of God's spirit, then our perspective on those problems should shift and change. There's an illustration I've used in previous sermons, but it bears repeating again here. And it's an instance of out of the mouths of babes because it was given to me by a year three pupil in an RS lesson a number of years ago. We were studying the theme of faith and looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah. We'd noticed how they sometimes showed amazing faith and at other times seemed crippled by fear. A Nigerian boy called Yinka put up his hand to offer a comment. He explained that at church, he'd heard from his pastor that it's like we all have a space inside of us which can be filled with faith, fear, or a mixture of the two. The more faith we have, the less room we have for fear. But the more fear we have, the less room we have for faith. That simple yet clear explanation has never left me and I have always found it incredibly helpful. It is witnessed to in so many stories throughout the Bible and we can certainly see it on display here. The Israelites and Saul are so paralysed with fear that there's no space for the faith that would enable them to trust God to help them face up to Goliath's challenge. But David's preparation and perspective have resulted in an abundance of faith so that fear doesn't get a look in. May God enable us to have such an expansive view of his greatness that we can put the challenges we face into better perspective and become increasingly full of the faith which drives out fear. So we've thought about preparation and perspective but let's finally consider promise. Stephen reminded us last week that as we study the life of David, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we should be on the lookout for pointers towards the ultimate king and man after God's own heart, David's descendant, Jesus. And this chapter, with its famous giant killing story, is full of the promise of what's to come. Jesus went through a similar period of preparation to David. Despite being the anointed king, Jesus experienced the ordinariness of everyday life. He was not afraid to roll his sleeves up and get his hands dirty. He faced challenges and trials, tempted in the desert, rejected in his hometown, plotted against by those in authority. We didn't have time to think about the way David's own brother, Eliab, dismisses him and discounts his efforts. Opposition comes from David's own side, even his own family. 
Jesus too faces opposition from his family and is eventually betrayed by one of his own disciples. David's account of life as a shepherd boy who would be king is remarkable. But Jesus is the ultimate shepherd king, demonstrating a costly and awesome love and care for his flock. And it is this costly sacrifice that we see most clearly signposted in the story of David and Goliath. David's victory over the giant foreshadows the victory which Jesus will win over the giants of evil, sin and death by his crucifixion and resurrection. When David defeated Goliath, the people of Israel were on the winning side, even though they had played no part in the victory. As Christians, we are on the winning side because we share in Jesus' victory over evil, sin and death. We enjoy the forgiveness, life and hope Jesus won for us, just as the Israelites enjoyed the spoils of David's victory over the giant. There's no doubt that David and Goliath is a wonderful and memorable story, as that reception child heckled, God's got some great stories. But let's not forget the deeper truths and lessons it has to teach us too. Let's consider how God is preparing us for service in both the ordinary times and in times of trial and challenge. Let's ask for God's help to put things into perspective by focusing on him and being mindful of his greatness. And let's give thanks for the promise to be found in understanding how David's story fits into the whole story of the Bible, signposting the ultimate victory of the ultimate shepherd king. Amen. Thank you so much.